right, all right, here we go. It's time for episode 32 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm Sleepy J filling in tonight for Joe Serralo, but have no fear. Mackenzie Rivers is here. Mackenzie Rivers and I, we're going to go ahead. We're going to cover some topics in the association. Uh, we have a couple games we'll get to here also on Saturday and Sunday. And of course, Mackenzie and myself, we'll go ahead. We'll give out some best bets. Speaking of best bets there, Mackenzie, full accountability. I'm not going to let you get away with this one. I know you had a best bet on the last podcast. So please explain to the listeners who you had, why it won, or why it lost. I had the Boston Celtics. Uh, I gave out lay-in five. It opened five, quickly moved to seven. Uh, never fear. I reassured uh, those that were interested on my Twitter, at Mac and Rivers, that at seven was a fine number because with the Bulls point guard situation or lack thereof, and with the second night of back-to-back, and just with their recent results, fourth worst team in the league, the Bulls, since the All-Star break. That's a pretty decent sample at this point. Celtics just the opposite. Number one net rating since January. So it was kind of a momentum play, and I felt confident about it, even though uh, the number kept drifting up, closed Celtics eight. Uh, I still was happy to, to get a winner there with my best bet. All right, well, kudos to you on that. And we will talk a little bit about the Celtics, actually, when we get to one of our games that we'll preview here. But Let's go ahead and let's get into a couple of hot topics here. This one's drawn some interest from the media here, McKenzie. And I really don't want to spend a whole lot of time with this team. Maybe a minute or two. L.A. Lakers, they're completely irrelevant. You know, once again, the Lakers are making headlines. LeBron James uh, shut down for the season. Anthony Davis, he shunned off, you know, any trade conversation circling around him with the media. Uh, but the topic that I do want to talk about briefly, L.A. Lakers' next head coach. Now, I was digging around. I found some odds here on Bet Online on who the next Lakers head coach will be. So, Mackenzie, I'm going to rattle off some names here, so bear with me here for a minute. Some of these are just completely asinine here on the list. <laughs> Let me start with the favorite. David Fisdale at 3-1, to one, followed by Quinn Snyder, Doc Rivers, Nick Nurse, Sam Cassell, Steve Clifford, Mike Brown, Kenny Atkinson, Terry Stotts, Mark Jackson, and Stan Van Gundy. Now it gets real crazy. John Calipari, Jay Wright, Becky Hammond, Coach K, really? Phil Jackson, and then this one, 150 to 1, the next coach of the LA Lakers, LeBron James. So, with all those names there, McKenzie, why don't you go ahead and give me the candidate uh, that you can go ahead and make an argument for? You know, give me your guy that you think might be the Lakers' next head coach. I think Nick Nurse, if he were to depart Toronto, is the best coach in the league and would be the most desirable coach for the Lakers going forward. I mean, this is a guy that won the NBA championship his first year in the league. He perfectly orchestrated Kawhi Leonard's, uh, you know, didn't play 20 games that year, but ramped it up in the playoffs and had his best performance of his whole career uh, that one year with Toronto. And then he loses Kawhi Leonard and and he hardly misses a beat. The only real thing that has been a uh, deterrent to this team is having to play in Tampa last season, ended up missing the playoffs, but that seemed perfectly explicable to me. Kyle Lowry departs in the summer. Again, they're a top five team in the East. I think every year Nick Nurse has proven, you know, that he's elite, and it might be a, it might be a challenge for for his uh, his defense and his playing style to be implemented in LA with the stars that they have. But you know, you got to aim you got to aim for the best, and hopefully the the team will coalesce around Nick Nurse. I think that's a fine choice. I think the question that I have is. You know, will LeBron be there? Will AD be there? Will Russ be there? Because, uh, you know, everything right now is being, you know, circled around the media that these guys might not all be together next season. 
And look, if it is LeBron, and we've seen this before, McKenzie, you know, he handpicks guys that I don't want to say that he can tell what to do, but, you know, when you can bring a guy like Nick Nurson, who has, you know, a valuable voice that has a lot of history, you know, I do worry if LeBron and he can go ahead and, and coexist. So, you know, I'm not sure, but you know, I do have to ask you this, McKenzie, because it's not common, you know, when you see the current head coach who hasn't been fired, not listed on the odd screen to be the, you know, the Lakers next coach, like, why is Vogel not on this list? You know, what do you make of that? Because, you know, last time I checked, you know, the Lakers brass didn't say, you know, from my recollection that once the season over, you know, Frank Vogel's gone. No, there was one Bleacher report that said, uh, you know, sources say and it might happen, but, you know, we've seen those things not come to fruition. What's what's fascinating is that if you look at the odds, I was expecting to say if the if Frank Vogel is not there, but it doesn't say anything like that. So if Frank Vogel was to be retained and Westbrook and Palinka and there are some other sacrificial lambs that end up being, you know, thrown to the fire, if Vogel's back next year, then bet online scoops. They get every bet, every single bet. If you bet Nurse at six to one, you're a loser. If you bet Fizdale the favorite at three to one, you'd be a loser. So cockroaches, uh, do it again. They do not have a field bet and they do not have a Frank Vogel bet. Two very, very likely options that it's going to be someone that's not on this 20 person list or that it will be the coach that is currently the head coach of the LA Lakers. You got to love how they conduct business sometimes. You absolutely love it. <laughs> All right. So let's just go from one LA team to the other. The LA Clippers right now, McKenzie, they're locked into the playing game. Clippers right now, currently the eight seed. They will hit the road on Tuesday night to go ahead and face the Timberwolves. So, you know, I do want to alert you guys about that. Now, McKenzie and Joe, uh, they're going to go ahead. They're going to give you guys the playing games for Tuesday and Wednesday on the next podcast. You know, McKenzie, I will say this, though, you know, talking about the Clippers here for a quick second. I'm glad Paul George is back and, and playing uh, right now. But, you know, without Kawhi this season, it's kind of just been blah. It's been boring. It's kind of been sad, you know, to go and watch the Clippers, you know, without him on the floor. You know, they need him. And that was, you know, a topic of concern this week from the commissioner, Adam Silver. You know, he had some quotes about star players not playing. Silver said, and let me go ahead and read the quotes that he has here. A trend of star players not participating in a full complement of games. I'm not standing here and saying I have a great solution. Part of the issue are injuries. The other way that we can get at it in terms of player participation is creating other incentives. I've also said in the past, if we have too many games, that's something we should look at as well. So after all those quotes there, McKenzie, from the commissioner, I'll ask you to go ahead and play Commissioner Rivers. You know, how do you fix this situation with the star players missing so much time during the NBA season? I think the NBA has got to think long and hard about, yeah, a revolution, a, a complete rethink about how the NBA is conducted. And I've talked about it before, but if you look at the best, most highly valued franchises in the world, a lot of them are European soccer teams and they don't play for the same trophy. They don't play in the same leagues, yet all the best teams in the biggest moments of the year are pitted against each other. Talking about other incentives, other ways to get not only the players to play, but the players to want to play and want to compete and to feel like their, their, their reputation and their legacy is on the line. Some of those other incentives have to be trophies, has to be money, prize pools, whether for charity. And Adam Silver said... The play-in tournament, I thought, was the beginning of creating renewed incentives for teams to remain competitive and be fighting for playoff position. 
arguably playoff Paul George, playoff P, as some call him, is back because they want to they wanted to secure their play-in position. So okay, Adam Silver has gets some points there. He continues, Adam Silver. It might be through in-season tournaments and changes in the format. And you talked about how the 82-game schedule is something that they look at. So this is how it works for Barcelona FC. Barcelona has 70 games a year. And back when Messi was, was there for 15 years, a, the talisman of the team, he'd play, in, he'd play in 65. And what games would he not play in? Well, they have some in-season tournaments like the King's Cup where they're going to play literally like the 80th best team in Spain. Messi's not going to be out there for that game. That's when you're going to get to see Barcelona's young, up-and-coming players play in a meaningful game. Because if they lose, they're not winning the Kings Cup that year. It's a meaningful game, but it's a way to get the the development involved with the competition. And you're not playing that great of a team, so you're usually going to be able to do it with your B team. That's a great model. That's awesome. We get to see Messi play in all the biggest games. And the games that don't matter, there is a clear signal that they don't matter or that they're less important. And then the, the backups actually have something to play for. So to me, that just seems to work perfectly. Uh, and the NBA does it like this. We have an exhibition season called the preseason. We have about 75 games that everyone assumes kind of matters because you don't want to be the LA Lakers and you don't want to be missing the playoffs because then you have 0% chance to win the championship. And then you get to this moment in the season right now where the Celtics are have played all year to, to get a good playoff seed, and now they don't really care because they don't really want the second seed with the chance to play the Nets. The Clippers, they played all year to get here, and now they have nowhere to go. We know who they're going to play in the play-in on Tuesday. They're one-and-a-half-point dogs at Minnesota. So the crescendo that we were expecting, where it gets more and more important and then finally we have the playoffs, is is completely foiled by this system where we know that April to June, every decision about what franchise is winning, what franchise is losing, what players have become the face of the league, all of that stuff is decided in one-fifth of the season, in one-sixth of the year, just two months. To me, it makes no sense. It never has made any sense, and it's gotten worse. Uh, Nate Duncan, NBA uh, writer and podcaster, was just saying, not only is there a huge gap between what regular season looks like and what playoffs look like, but the gap is widening. Teams are less and less inclined, not only to play their players, but to play playoff-like basketball in the regular season because they have goals in mind. And when you make it a zero-sum game, you you can't fault anybody for doing whatever they can in their power to maximize the chance of getting a one at the end of the year and not a zero. How to fix that? I think you could have beginning of the season tournament with a trophy and a million dollar prize pool. You could have an ongoing tournament with maybe international teams involved, where it's not just NBA teams, but you invite, you know, the five, 10 best teams in Europe to come and get their ass kicked probably. And then maybe not one year because Luka Doncic is blowing up. That's why you get that excitement, that novelty, and you get drama all the way through the year, the group stage of the champions league, the English premier league into the knockout rounds. It's just, it's just a better version of the sport, whether or not you like soccer. I know a lot of people are not thrilled at 1-1 games like I am, but the fact that all the games feel like they matter from August to May, I think is remarkable and and the NBA should take notice and and change. You know, with what you're saying there, the one thing kind of came to my mind and it was that like these players don't really care much anymore about stats. 
and doing, you know, with what you're saying, I think that the stats will actually be, they're, they're not going to care about stats. Like they might not care about them ever at that point. Maybe it is just about titles. You know, I don't know. I, I racked my brain, Mackenzie, to, to really find a solution. And what I did is I, I started to fall on just penalizing the players, you know, time and time again. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work. You know, Silver, on the other hand, you know, he's looking to go ahead and incentivize these players, you know, potentially. And I think that that can work, you know, let's say, you know, player X maybe who makes 20, you know, 25, 30 million dollars a year. You know, that's going to cover your star players, you know, in this hypothetical. You know, I can see the NBA offering bonuses, let's say, you know, if player X plays 65 games, 75, you know, 70 games, whatever it is, you know, with like incremental increases, I can kind of see that happens. You know, and I'm sure, you know, penalizing the players, that's not going to work out very well, you know, and that's why, you know, Silver is the commissioner and I'm not. I do believe he will find a healthy solution, though. I hope he doesn't, Mackenzie, to be honest with you, because I absolutely love the variance, you know, without these star players when it comes to the prop market. I know that you know this, you know, the books right now, they're struggling to go ahead and price lesser players when you take a guy who, who is worth five and a half, six and a half points to the line. It just becomes a feeding frenzy at the betting window. So I'm hoping that that they don't come up with a fix for this. Like, give me one more year where I can go ahead and, and, and make as much money as possible, especially in the player prop market. But I do think eventually Silver will come up with, with some type of a resolution here, some type of a fix. And I do believe he's going to do the right thing and, and probably incentivize these players, which, you know, I, I would penalize them. And, and nothing, nothing good's going to come of that. Something else Silver said is that the league has changed. It makes a lot of sense. There's more running. Per game, there's more, uh, you know, phys- physical taxing on these players. There's no reason to think that the 82 games that was decided upon in the 60s, you know, is needed today uh, for any reason. I hear what you're saying, though. I hear what you're saying. As betters, we kind of want the consistency where we're able to play off certain trends and certain ideas and certain concepts. I'd rather have a better league, though. <laughs> I-, I think long term. Uh, I will be more happy betting and I will be more successful betting a league that has the best basketball. That's my favorite thing to bet on. Two teams going for it, max effort, my power ratings, no adjustments for for motivation. It was a really weird game today. The Heat were four-point favorites at open against the Hawks. That's exactly where my power ratings have it. Despite the Hawks being you know disappointing this year, they're still t- within two points of the Heat. I have the Heat two points better than the Hawks. Heat at home, two-point co- home court advantage. Heat were favored by four, and that's what the line came out as. The idea that the Heat already clinched the one seed made a lot of betters itching to bet the Hawks and just assuming that the Heat were going to rest everybody. So the Heat goes from four and four and four to three to two and a half to pick them to all the way to plus two, a home dog versus the Hawks. Then the Heat announced they're going to play everybody: Butler, Adebayo, Lowry, Hero. They're all going to be there. Spolster's coming back. It's a regular game for the Heat. They're not making any adjustment. Heat-style basketball, they're going to play hard, is what they're saying. The market doesn't really believe them. The Heat become a a one-and-a-half-point favorite at close. The number one seed in the Eastern Conference was considered a slightly worse team than the number 10 seed, the Hawks, despite playing everybody because of of the subtext. What everybody knows is that the Hawks desperately want to win for 48 minutes. They're going to be acting like it. And the idea was the Heat probably weren't going to do that. The fact that they actually did and they actually won by four, uh, you know, kind of doesn't speak to this, but the market does speak to the fact that the Heat didn't care about the game. 
That's what was firmly believed. Millions of dollars changing hands was saying this game doesn't really matter. That's what Adam Silver's talking about. That's the problem. That's what we need to change. Well, it was an interesting line movement. And I agree with you. You know, we, we have to change that. You know, you mentioned max effort. I think that's something that I'm going to circle back to here. You know, well, one of the problems that we have, Mackenzie, is that you get these teams, you know, on a TNT or ESPN. It's like, yeah, we're going to get this great doubleheader tonight. And you half the team's sitting out. And it's like, how do you handicap that? But how the hell do you sit down and watch that? Uh, it just becomes difficult. You know, you mentioned the Celtics, a couple of teams right now that are in the playoffs. Let's switch over to a topic that I do want to talk about you with. And I want to start out here in the Eastern Conference. Mackenzie, I want you to give me one contender and one pretender in the Eastern Conference. So this Boston Celtics, I've said this before, number one net rating since January with a bullet by far. In fact, now it's, it's, it's such a large sample that for the entire season, they're number two behind the Suns, best net rating in the league. I think the, sec- the, the former is actually more telling of who they are because they had a new coach. Brad Stevens, 55% ATS winner for four years. Uh, you know, fantastic coach. I don't think anyone in the league wouldn't think that Brad Steven is an excellent head coach. He might be better in his current role as the advisor, as the GM, guy bringing in the players, knows the players, has faith in them. And Ime Adoko, as the coach, has proven to get this team to another place defensively and now offensively starting to pick up. They're without their best defensive player, Robert Williams. I've downgraded them a point and a half for that. But He's going to be back. He's going to be back for the second round of the playoffs. If the Celtics, and I think this is most likely, get the Bulls, talked about this in this podcast, fourth worst team in the league, not fourth worst playoff team, not fourth worst team in the East, fourth worst team in the E, sorry, fourth worst team in the entire league. The Detroit Pistons have been better. The Sacramento Kings have been better. The Chicago Bulls have fallen off a cliff, and now they're not going to get Lonzo Ball for the rest of the season. And I don't see how they turn it around. So the Celtics probably walk through with or without Robert Williams, the Bulls. And then I think it just sets up great for them. I think they can continue this excellent play. Celtics would be my contender. And while I'm at it, the pretender would be the Chicago Bulls. I've said this before. The Bulls season ended when DeMar DeRozan shot 16 for 26, put up 40 points, and it wasn't even close for a second against the Milwaukee Bucks. The next two games, my best bet, blown out against the Celtics at home. And then even worse, blown out by the Hornets at home. I don't see how they turn it around. I feel like this is one-way traffic the rest of the season. Well, I won't disagree with you with Boston being a contender. I do have concerns, you know, with Williams being out, you know, that there might be a little bit of a hitch in their step going into that second round. You know, when you go from, you know, Williams, who's arguably one of the best defenders in the league, to, you know, Daniel Dice, something has to change. Like defensively, offensively, something's going to change. So you just got to wonder if there is a little bit of a hiccup, but – uh, certainly one of the hottest teams in the league. And when you come to the Bulls, you know, it's surprising, Mackenzie, you're a Chicago guy that, you know, you didn't pick another team. But, look, you picked the right team. I think Chicago, uh, right now, they're they're just struggling. I mean, what are they, like 3-7 and seven out of their last 10? You mentioned it. They're not going to get Lonzo back. I think that is going. that certainly is deflating for that ball club, the fact that they don't have him. And, look, I, even if he did come back, Mackenzie, after all that time off, you have to wonder if they if they could have ever got it going. I mean, obviously, you look at this team. What were they? they were sitting up there at one point, like the two seed. Now they're, they they almost ended up in the plan. So uh, I think you certainly picked the right team there. Now, I do want to ask you about the Western Conference. Same thing. Go ahead and give me one contender. Go ahead and give me one pretender. My contender would have to be the Golden State Warriors. This team was, you know, four to one right there with the Suns as the favorite, uh, you know, not that long ago at the All-Star break. And then what happens? You know, they play 
not so great. They're trying to work Clay Thompson back in. More importantly, Steph Curry goes down. Steph Curry, you'll get cleaning the glass on off. There's no player like him in the NBA. 13-14, 99th percentile. The team was 14 points better with him on the court. 14-15, that goes to 16 points, 99th percentile. The year they win 72 games, they were 21 points better per 100 possessions with Steph Curry on the court. He's been 99 or 98th percentile every single season. This year, not any different, plus 14 points better. Unheard of. So they're four and six since he went down. They've won their last three, so they're starting to be able to work it out. And the fact that Klay Thompson got hot when they were down big against the Jazz and they came all the way back to win that game, that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, you know moment I think we could remember if the Warriors start putting it together, win a few playoff series. If Klay Thompson is Klay Thompson, the Flash Brothers are back. There's a team. There's there's a reason why this team made five finals in a row. Could easily see him making it six out of eight years. And that experience that I'm talking about, where Steph Curry, Klay Thompson have been there, they knocked on the door, they knocked it down. All of that is exactly the opposite with the red-hot Minnesota Timberwolves. I mean, think about this. They're minus one and a half in the play-in we're going to talk about you know, later this week. That means the Clippers are a better team, despite the fact that they've been worse all season. Why is that? I have the, I have the Wolves as a half point better. They should be two and a half point favorites. Home court plus a half. Well, I think the market is seeing what I'm seeing, which is Paul George has been there, was in the Western Conference Finals last year. The potential to upgrade his game and the Clippers game in the playoff is clear. I'm not really sure who the Minnesota Timberwolves turn to when that playoff intensity comes. D'Angelo Russell, never done anything in the playoffs. Carl Anthony Town, never done anything in the playoffs. So I don't see them turning it on. I think it's very possible they could actually slip out of the play-in, out of the playoffs. And if they do make the playoffs, I think they're a fade you know, in that first round. All right. Well, I certainly agree with you with the Warriors, 100%, 100% agreement for me there. You know, the Timberwolves are interesting to me because I believe that, you know, if you catch that team on the wrong night, uh, they could put up a lot of points. You know, we know Russell can score. We know Towns can score. You know, Towns could take over the game, not only from the inside, but the outside. No doubt. And then you have the young gun in Anthony Edwards, who, you know, a very good defender. He can do things, you know, on the inside and outside as well, shoot the three ball. They could be trouble, McKenzie. And, and I think one of the reasons why, the team that I would actually call my pretenders at Denver Nuggets, shockingly, uh, even with the MVP and Jokic, I think one of the reasons why is like, you know, where would the Pelicans be, you know, if, if Zion was on this team? You know, what would happen, you know, with the Blazers if if Dame was still there and McCollum? And, and you know, what about the Lakers, you know, with, with LeBron and those guys? Like, things just didn't pan out for those three teams in specific. You got to ask yourself if the Nuggets are, are sitting in the plane, could they be a 9 or a 10 seed? You know, I'm not strong on that team at all. Uh, obviously, they're going to end up probably being the six. They're going to end up playing the three. Uh, I'm rooting for the Warriors to go ahead and play them, team that you think's a uh, contender. And if those two teams meet up when Curry comes back, I think that's an absolute buzzsaw. I don't see that series probably going more than five games. So Denver, for me, would would be my pretender, and the Warriors would go ahead and probably be my contender. Would that change if Jamal Murray came back for the Nuggets? I think it would probably hurt the Nuggets more because they've been in such a groove, mm. you know, with the team that they have. Uh, who are they going to beat? Are they going to beat the Warriors? No. I mean, if they were in a plan, maybe it would help them. Maybe, but they're, they're not beating. They're not beating any of those top three seeds. No, I agree with you. And you know, Curry has played this year with Clay Thompson, you know, a couple times. You know, not as as much as they would like. And Curry's obviously played with Draymond Green for the past much of the past year. Jamal Murray hasn't been there for you know twelve months. 
I don't see them just him coming off the street and necessarily being that, you know, plus two to the line player that he was uh, even last year. I probably would feel a little better if it was like Porter coming back versus Murray. I feel like he's more plug and play. I feel like he is more plug and play Porter where he can just stand there in the corner and get you 20 going eight for 10 from three on a night where Jamal Murray, he brings the ball up. Jokic has been the point guard. Uh, that would have to change a little bit if Jamal Murray came back. You have to wonder if if Murray was on that team. There's probably no way in hell that, that Jokic gets the MVP or even if Porter was out there for that fact. I think, you know, Jokic has benefited, you know, with the fact that those that those two guys, you know, were out of the rotation. Mackenzie, I do want to go ahead and give a best bet. Now you're going to give a best bet. We're going to go ahead and we'll, we'll save that till till the end. But, you know, I do want to give you a, an option here, Mackenzie, for you to make make a little bit of money. Now, I found this wager and I really like this one. So I'm going to go ahead and give this out for the best bet on the podcast. You guys can find this right now on DraftKings. And this is which division will win the NBA title. Now, here are the odds. Pacific plus 155, Atlantic plus 220. Central division, 5 to 1. Southwest, 10 to 1. Southeast, 11 to 1. And the Northwest at 12 to 1. I really like the favorite Pacific division here. You know, I get the league's best team in the Suns. And we have a potential for, you know, the Warriors to meet the Suns in the Western Conference Finals. If either of those teams make the finals, McKenzie, I'm getting plus 155 on one of those teams. And I can't say for sure that it doesn't even matter who the East ends up having as their representative. No, are they even going to be favored against the Suns or the Warriors? I mean, they would have to be minus 180, minus 175, you know, to justify, you know, the the plus 155 I'm going to get, you know, either with the Suns or the Warriors. So I kind of think it's kind of a no-brainer here. Take the Pacific to go ahead and win the title at plus 155 because I feel like, McKenzie, in my opinion, I'm getting the two best teams in the league with the Suns and with the Warriors when Curry comes back and they get healthy. So I'm going to go ahead and give you guys that, my best bet, Pacific Division to win the NBA title. McKenzie, you like that one or no? I do. I really kind of dig that one. I just think, you know, back of the napkin, Suns probably plus 300 right now. They're probably 20 25% chance to win it I'd give the Warriors probably better than the market at plus 850 I'd probably bump them up probably give them a 15% chance to 20% chance so you only need 40% on a plus 155 bet to break even so right there without any other considerations I think the Suns and the Warriors have about a 40% chance to win it all when I where I start to love the bet is the idea that the Warriors are likely to get three I love their first round matchup against the Nuggets we talked about and the Suns are uh, you know, locked in to get one. So very, very likely we're going to have a Suns, not very likely, but more times than not, I think we have a, a Warriors, Suns, Western Conference Finals. That means you're guaranteed to have a plus 155 ticket in the finals. The Suns are likely to be favored against most teams in the league. The Warriors will probably pick them against a team like the Bucks or maybe a slight dog, but still plus 155 will be a great ticket to have to start the finals. And I think if you go up against a team like, let's just say it's the Nets or, or it's Philly, you know, you're going to get a home playoff series because you're the one or the three seed. So I think that's another thing that we have to go ahead and factor into that. But, yeah, I like that one quite a bit. So let's talk some games here, McKenzie. We have a couple here for Saturday that we do want to discuss and one for Sunday. Now, we will say this, that, that there are going to be some results that occur tomorrow that may affect whether teams play or not, you know, whether they play their starters. So let's start out with one of the games for Saturday here, McKenzie. We have the Golden State Warriors that we just talked about. They're going to be on the road here at San Antonio. San Antonio, they have four of their five starters that are not going to play. 
right, so right now on the pregame.com game center, we have Golden State minus six and a half. We have no total on this game. Mackenzie, you got any thoughts on that one? Yeah, this is a game that the Warriors uh, probably have high motivation to win, and the Spurs probably don't have any already locked into the 10th. I don't see I don't see Greg Popovich's guys. I mean, this you never know when it's his last go around. Greg Popovich uh, growing the beard out. You know, he's not. No superstars are on the horizon for the Spurs. So I think Greg Popovich is relishing the last couple of years as a coach. And I think, despite the fact that they're smartly resting, uh, arguably smartly resting, you know, four or five starters, I think he gets the guys motivated. So I think it's a I think it's a ball game. Clay Thompson being out is a big absence. You know, definitely without Curry, you know, we saw how critical he was down the stretch against Utah. Uh, but I still think the Warriors, you know, have enough firepower with Poole and Wiggins uh, and Draymond, of course, to get it done against the, you know, Spurs B team. So I think the line's about right is what I'm saying. I think I think the the, the Warriors should be favored, but the Spurs are, uh, you know, they're, they're sneaky. I think, they, I think they, they throw out enough guys to compete. I'm not sure if they do or not. I, I kind of really like Golden State here, you know, with the six and a half. The fact is, look, they want the three seed. They want to go ahead and play a home playoff series at home, you know, with Draymond and Clay and Curry. I think that's like number one on their list. But, you know, when I look at the injuries here, you know, for the Spurs, Murray's not going to play. He's got an illness right now. Keldon Johnson, probably their second best player on the roster, he's not going to play. He's got like right knee soreness. And then Devin Vassell, He's not going to play either. He's got left heel soreness. And then you got Jacob Poto with, you know, their starting center. He's got back soreness. Like, Mackenzie, we're talking about star players, you know, not playing. But um, they're getting really creative with the sorenesses and the numbnesses, you know, with this with this Spurs team. Yep. I'm going to let you go ahead and you can throw you – can, you can get mad at me, Mackenzie. You can do whatever you want here. But I'm going to make a crazy statement here. And I really, really, truly, truly believe this. And, and I know how much you love watching the NBA. I'm gonna make a crazy statement here. Greg Popovich is Greg Popovich is so overrated. Woo! I honestly believe if you took the Hall of Famers that he had off his roster, that that guy would struggle to get to the playoffs each and every year. Here's my concern with with him in in general is that when he has a healthy ball club, and let me take Murray as an example. Murray would go out, he'd start the game out, he would be five for five. You know, made two layups, made a jumper, made two threes, uh, maybe a couple free throws here and there, and then I'll take him out. It's a six-minute mark. It was like, dude, what are you doing? You just took your hottest player off the floor for no reason. No reason. And he did that for a number of years. Now, finally, three years after, you know, all these players get through the adolescent stage, Popovich is like, yeah, go out there and play 35, 38 minutes. It was like, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't trust him in the playoffs. I don't like his rotations. And here's my here's one of the reasons why I brought it up. This is why I like Golden State. When he has all these guys out, what's he going to do with his rotation? Is he going to take, you know, one of the guys like maybe a Tyus Jones or something? Is he going to rip him off the floor after he starts hot? So I don't know if you agree with me with Popovich, McKenzie, but I've just had this this serious dislike for, you know, the way that he's coached his players over the last couple of years. And I honestly think he was carried by a bunch of Hall of Famers. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know, Kawhi wanted out of there. I know there were a lot of medical things going on, but I think he kind of fell off after the after the boys, you know, stopped bringing home the championships. Wow, shots fired. Uh, definitely respect Pop. Think he's a good coach. But, you know, Doc Rivers has talked about this before. There's very little an NBA coach can do without talent. Talent decides the game. 
I think probably his biggest claim to fame is the fact how much better Tony Parker, Mano Ginobili, and even Tim Duncan got in their careers, how much better Kawhi Leonard got, most improved player, you know, the 15th pick. So uh, DeJounte Murray has, has made a huge leap this year. Uh, is he? Let me, th- let me look. He might be most no, – I guess John Morant is still going to be most improved player, but DeJounte Murray would probably be second on that list. By the way, Murray not going to be out there. The Spurs are four and nine. Can't do it without talent. Four and nine this season without their point guard, Dejounte Murray. It's just crazy to me. He's had talent though, and that's what. And people have made that claim, like it's like, well, he hasn't had the greatest of talent. Really, you have Murray. You had DeRozan. Uh, at one point, you had Aldridge, decent bench player guys, the guys that that know the system, like a Rudy Gay. Like he's had players, players that could at least at a minimum get him to be the eight seed. And he just failed over and over again. Like, was this the ultimate goal that to be the 10 seed in the play in? I'm sorry. I, I just, I honestly just think he's overrated. So uh, I'll, I'll stick to my comments there and uh, we'll leave that at that. No, that's, that's a good, that's a good point under Rosen that I hadn't really considered because the book under Rosen last year was he, he's a decent stats player, but the starting five on the Spurs are a lot worse than the bench. So what does that say? Last year with DeRozan on the court, they were minus five. Versus him off the court. Flash forward a year, he's an MVP candidate. The Bulls are plus seven with DeRozan on the court. He's obviously a very talented player, but he was not working in Spurs' system, uh, in Greg Popovich's system. I think that's that's a good point. And that was one of my concerns was like, you get a guy like DeRozan, and I saw it multiple times, and, and he did the same thing with Murray. It's like, you can't let the guy start out six for six, God forbid, and then hurry up and yank him off the court. And and let's get, you know, let's, let's throw Lonnie Walker in there or Brian Forbes or you know, an Anderson. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why are you taking these guys off the floor? Now, look, a lot of that had a lot to do with, you know, me ended up having player props on some of these guys. But, you know, when you see it time and time and time again, it was like, what are you doing, man? Like, you wouldn't take Duncan off the floor. You're not taking Ginobili off the floor when these guys are red hot. I don't know, man. It's just a head scratcher. So I, I'll just leave it at that. You know, I'll, I'll put the shots fired out there on, on Greg Popovich. I think he is overrated. Kudos to him. Congratulations. Certainly a Hall of Famer. But, you know, it is it is what it is. I'll just leave it at that. Hey, I'm the number one guy to say this guy can be great and this guy can be way overrated. Those things are not uh, in any way uh, contradictory. Well, I love the debates that you have, you know, when it comes to the, to the LeBron and the LeBron and, and Michael Jordan gold conversation. Those were those were certainly some good conversations. Let's jump into the next game here, McKenzie. We have Indiana. We have Philadelphia. Philadelphia currently right now minus 14, McKenzie. High total in this one, 234. Now, in my opinion, McKenzie, I, I think that there is a chance that Philly may pull the plug on a bunch of these starters. Now, look, the Raptors, currently right now they sit in the five seed, but they only have one game left, so... They're one and a half games back from Philly, so Philly cannot slide to the five seed. And if the Philadelphia 76ers are content, you know, with playing the Raptors in the playoffs, I would just say just be careful going ahead and betting the 76ers, you know, before the injury reports, you know, start to surface. I'm not sure how you feel about this game or Philadelphia in general, but Philadelphia laying 14 here, McKenzie. What are you thinking? So Rick Carlisle, Pacers coach, recently said he has no intentions uh, of being the general manager, uh, you know, kind of out of the blue statement, which kind of implied that he is the de facto uh, general manager, or at least he has that option. The whole year, the Pacers have gotten better and better on offense. The last 12 days are the fifth best offense in the league, and they've gotten worse and worse on defense, giving up 128 points 
in their last seven. Why is that? Well, I've talked about this since the Sabonis trade. They want to see what they have in Tyrese Halliburton. They want to see what they have in Buddy Heald. They want to see what they have as a run-and-gun team because a lot of these guys are not going to be back next year if they can't hack it. So we're got, we want to see who can put up points. You don't think uh, Rick Carlisle got a lot of pleasure of being the number one offensive rating you know, a couple of years ago, 1920. I think he thinks he can recreate that. I think that's why he went to Indiana. And I think this has just been an experiment about how fast the team can play, how uh, aggressively can they prioritize offense. You know, that, that's where I think the Pacers are at right now. They're caring more about style of play and looking towards the future. Yeah, I don't know about that team defensively right now. For me, McKenzie, if, if I could find a decent team total, you know, on Philadelphia, I probably would go ahead and, and consider playing them over. As you mentioned, they're giving up like, what, 128 points per game over the last seven. Uh, it's like 133, 132, 131, 129. It's like, yo, uh, if, if Philly brings the boys tomorrow, especially with Embiid, you know, crying out there that he's not going to get the MVP, you know, don't be shocked if he goes for, you know, a 40-piece and the rest of the team all, all chips in and, and they just try to blow the doors off this team, getting some real momentum, you know, going into the playoffs. That's probably the only thing that I would do. I, 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 would, I certainly wouldn't lay the 14 points, but – um, that's kind of the recommendation that I would give for that game. Let's jump over to Celtics at the Grizzlies. This will be our only Sunday game here that we'll go ahead and look at. Uh, projected number for this game, Mackenzie Celtics at Grizzlies. Do you have one? Yeah, I think uh, so. This was in Boston not too long ago, and Boston was minus three at close, saying Boston's one point better. And now it's in Memphis. I think that Boston is still one point better with John Morant there. So I think it's going to be Memphis minus one. That's what my projections make it. All right, Mackenzie, how about Ja? Like right now, he's listed as questionable. Uh, since they're saying he's probably going to play Sunday, so you know, how you feeling about him potentially playing for this game? Yeah, I think it's telling that it is looking like he's going to play Sunday because there wasn't really any reason for him to be brought back at all before the playoffs. I think they want to get him some reps. I think they're tired of the twenty-one and three uh, storyline of how good they've been without him. He might be tired of that. So yeah, they, the last big time game that they lost was at Boston. I think he's got revenge on his mind. I think that's why he suits up because even though Boston really needs the game and Memphis doesn't, I think Memphis, you know, they haven't let up all season. I think this is a game that they want badly. Yeah, I certainly think they want to go in and get the motor running again with Jai. I mean, he's been out for, you know, long enough. And, and the team, as you mentioned, you know, they're, they're rattling off wins and, and kudos to those guys. But at some point, you got to get your best player back on the floor, you know, to go in and get the motor running before you end up, you know, making your big playoff push there. You know, as far as this game's concerned, McKenzie, it would only be the Grizzlies for me, and a lot of it circled around, you know, whether the Celtics are going to play their players or not. You just mentioned, you know, how they rested guys the other day, but, you know, if Milwaukee ends up in the two-seat or let's say they lose or Philadelphia rattles off a win or two, it's like, you know, where are the Celtics going to be? What are they, you know, what, what do they want to do? You know, do they want to end up being, you know, the two-seat going up against the Nets team? So it's just tough for me to go ahead and, and back the Celtics blindly. I do believe that the Grizzlies will go out to play, go out to win, and Ja will be on the floor. So that would be the only way that I look right now. But I honestly think that there might be a chance that we get a lot of movement in this game, you know, based on, you know, who ends up getting sat or, or what maybe the motivation might be. So I'm not sure necessarily what you think about the Celtics, you know, going into this game. But do you think that there's a potential that maybe we don't see Tatum or Brown or anybody on the floor for Boston? I would be surprised if we see any uh, type of shenanigans from Boston in this game because the Philadelphia 76ers have two very, very winnable games. So the Sixers game against the Pistons and the Celtics-Grizzlies games will both be 4 o'clock Pacific Sunday. So very likely the Celtics have the tie break. 
if Philly wins out, the Celtics would need to win that game to get the three. Compare that to having to go to Toronto, and we don't know. Uh, it hasn't been reported which Celtics may or may not be vaccinated. So big win, big necessary win. I'd be surprised. Uh, big game, I should say, if the Celtics don't play all their guys. There is one play that I'll be looking at for this game, and that's the Celtics team total over. couple reasons here. One, Grizzlies have been much, much better on defense without John Morant. Makes a lot of sense. Tyus Jones is just a better defender. They play slower. And for whatever reason, those guys have been motivated. Jaron Jackson has been playing out of his shoes. They've been better on defense recently. Now they got to incorporate a faster player, a faster-paced player that's much worse on defense in John Morant. That's the Grizzly side of it. I think their defense will be worse. And then the Celtics, since Robert Williams went down, they haven't been great shakes on defense, but they've been the number one offense in the league over the past 30 days to go along with the defense that's been a lead all season uh, in a must-win game. I think they might have to turn the pace up if, if they're trailing at any point. Uh, I do think the Celtics team total over will be a play that I'm looking at there. All right, we'll go ahead and make sure that everybody goes and wagers on that. Solid stuff there, McKenzie. I do want your best bet. I gave out mine already. What are you looking at? Let's go to Sunday. My best bet will be the Nets-Pacers over. You look at the average of their last 10 games. This is about 235. Wouldn't be surprised. Last day of the season, school's out. Last day of school, uh, we get a lot of overs. We get a lot of unmotivated teams playing really fast. So I would play this up to 240. I like the Nets-Pacers over. Now, I talked about it before. Rick Carlisle has accelerated the pace of this team, and he hasn't really worried about defense. They've been dead last on defense by a mile the last 30 days, and even worse recently, giving up 128 points per game their last seven. Now we get the last game of the season, so it's the last time they're going to be able to see uh, what a run-and-gun type style can do with Buddy Heald, Halliburton, all those guys. On the other side, the Nets offense hasn't actually been that great recently the last 30 days that they've been you know themselves fifth best in the league but the last two weeks they've just been 16th they've kind of been sputtering I think this is their wake-up call with a must-win game to secure the seventh seed against a team that doesn't play any defense that wants 150 possessions in a game I think they're going to get Curry Irving Durant all working at the same time so they're going to be monster favorites they're going to be 14 point favorites or so but I do think the Pacers are going to push them. I think the Nets will do what they have to do to get the win. And I think this game ends up like 140, 126 or something. Just no way they can set this high enough, I think, uh, for, to, for this to go under. So my best bet, up to 240, Pacers, Nets on Sunday, over the total. All right, I like that one, McKenzie. I don't disagree with you there. I, let me ask you this question, though, because you're talking about the Nets' defensive issues and stuff like that. Do you think Ben Simmons comes back, man? It's a fascinating question because I'm not sure uh, how a year off, essentially 10 months off, couldn't be enough. But ESPN reporting that it's very unrealistic that he'll be back for the play-in. I think reading the tea leaves that tell me tells me it's probably unlikely he's there for game one of the first round. But he's gearing up for a reason. He probably will be there, I'd say, game three of the first round. So let me throw this at you, Mackenzie, because you know me very well, and you could probably call me the king of conspiracies. Oh, yeah. Do you think that there's a potential that Simmons doesn't play because he may lose that arbitration case with the Sixers, and he might lose out on $20 million. Look, if he sits out and he doesn't play, 
that can only make his case so much stronger. And look, we know how these players are. You know, you owe me twenty million. I'm not just going to give that up to go on some uh, pipe dream NBA title that we may never get. I want my twenty million. You're going to pay me my twenty million. I'm not going to play. And look, the Nets. There's a chance they might ship him right out of town. So what do they get out of it? They maybe they get nothing. So if I'm Ben Simmons, this is just me. If my lawyer is telling me, dude, do not play under no circumstance, no matter what pressure you're at. And if you don't play, we're going to get that $20 million for you. So I do want to throw that at you, Mackenzie. Do you think that maybe that money might actually have something to do with maybe why he won't end up playing? I do think that if a lawyer told him you're more likely to get that money if you don't play, that he wouldn't play. But close the circle for me. I'm not exactly sure why him not playing for the Nets would – you're saying because his – is back the whole season made it so he wasn't able to play. So the fact that the Sixers, no, but he still didn't report. So I don't get it. Why, why would not playing help his case with the, with the Sixers and the 20 million? Well, I believe some of it had to do with maybe some of the mental issues that he was having and the back. Like he was saying, look, like, look, I'm not healthy. I can't play. I mean, that was what we heard in the beginning of the year. He was out there, you know, doing his little dribble drills out there before the season started. And, uh, you know, we had the cameras on him and, and Doc was out there or whatever. It's just a situation where I think that if he doesn't play, it just makes his case so much stronger that, you know, Philadelphia should have paid him. And, and look, I don't understand, you know, the compensation for injuries and stuff like that. Like, that, that's not that's not my gig. But I'm just saying, if, if there's a reason why, you know, that, that he can get this money, maybe one of the reasons is don't play this season at all. And maybe it just helps him get that money. I don't know. And Simmons did reportedly, this is ESPN again, tell the Sixers about discomfort in his back starting in training camp in October. And people say that stress is a big factor in back injuries. And I don't know, maybe the lawyer has, I mean, lawyers are good at talking. Maybe you wrap, you wrap up the stress, the back injury, the lack of payment, the lack of playing all into one uh, you know, ball of wax. And yeah, maybe you got a point there. Another reason, you know, Adam Silver said, we started this conversation talking about Adam Silver and all the players that aren't playing. He couldn't even comment on one of the best players, you know, top 50 player, at least in the NBA. He couldn't even comment because of an ongoing grievance about him not being paid and him not wanting to play. So it's a little bit of an epidemic. It's kind of uh, the player empowerment movement. This is kind of a huge case on uh, where the league will fall. Uh, you know, maybe split the difference. You give him 10 million, but either way, the Nets would desperately want a, a guy with his athleticism, speed, and defensive abilities. Uh, that would be a game changer, a point uh, improvement for the Nets immediately. I think defensively they become, I don't want to say one of the better teams in the league, but they certainly are, are just a massive upgrade defensively with Ben Simmons on the floor. And look, you don't have to ask him to shoot. Just ask him to distribute the basketball and go play defense. Dude. Go do your thing because you know that team right now, they're struggling on, on defensive side of the ball. You know, that's one of the reasons why you like this over. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up. You know, speaking of back, Joe Sorrell, he will be back, you know, for the next podcast. As I mentioned, you know, he and McKenzie will go ahead. They'll run you guys through the play and stuff. Uh, McKenzie, I, it would be bad if I didn't do a shameless plug here uh, for pregame.com. We have an MLB contest up right now. You guys can go ahead and sign up for that. And we also have an MLB coupon. You guys can go over to pregame.com, purchase anything that you want, MLB related, type in MLB 25, save yourself some money. Uh, but with that said, that's it, guys. That'll wrap it up here for Mackenzie and I. You guys know where to get us on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame. 
at Mac and Rivers. So that'll wrap up episode 32 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. We'll talk to you guys on the next podcast.